This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Matt. That's Eric. That's Caleb. Guys, we've made it. We are finally here. We are digging into a gospel, and if you guys didn't hear the announcement last week because you skipped out on the end of the episode because you just couldn't wait to get to the next thing in your life, we were talking about how we're finally going to dig into a gospel. We're digging into Matthew, and I mean, we're going to be in Matthew until next until this Easter of next year, guys. And so in, on Easter of 2024, that's when we're going to end with talking about the resurrection on Resurrection Day. So we're going to spend a lot of time in this. And so for, for all of you guys, uh, as we go along through these, we're going to talk about the different resources we're using to study Matthew, the, the different concordances or different study Bibles and things like that. But we're going to be digging in. We're digging in deep. We're going to be talking about the gospel. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Jesus to set up Matthew from the beginning. Um, the audience is for Jews and Gentiles, but what most people consider is this is mainly written for Jews. And the reason why people say that is because the book of Matthew has a bunch of references to the Old Testament, and they think that Matthew wrote it for a largely Jewish audience to help them in their conversion to Christianity. Um, this is written, you know, 400 years after the last book of the Old Testament, that which would be Malachi. Uh, so just think about how Malachi ends and just think about being a people group that waits 400 years before they, you know, hear from God again. Um, this is one of the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And synoptic is, is basically just sharing or presenting with a common view. That's why those are kind of considered together and John's considered kind of a different category. Um, most people assume that much of this gospel is coming from Mark, where you know a lot of the stuff you see in Luke and in Matthew comes from Mark. There are some different, I guess, reasons for that and different theories for why that is. Uh, one thing that I won't really get into is the dating of this book, because if you do any pre-research on the book of Matthew, if you go to different study Bibles or different, you know, th- there are so many different arguments for in AD 70 is kind of the dividing point whenever the Romans destroyed the temple. Um, A lot of people think that this happened before AD 70. A lot of people think that this happened after AD 70. They all have their their reasons for that, so we don't exactly know when this was written down. But one thing, and then I want to get any any other details from you guys that you found in your pre-research, there was something I didn't really realize. There was a north-south divide in the kingdom of Israel that isn't really talked about a lot, and a lot of churches don't really cover this, but Jesus was in Galilee for much of his ministry, which is in the north, and people from the south part of the empire, uh, you know, where Jerusalem was, they did not have a high opinion of northerners. So you might think of it today as, you know, uh, you know, Maybe somebody that's grown up in Boston, went to private school and, you know, comes from this opulent, you know, family full of money. And they look at people from like rural Mississippi and they just look at them and like, oh, those those rednecks, those simpletons, like that type of thing. It's similar to what was happening then. And that has kind of a corollary that drives certainly through Matthew 1, but through the rest of Matthew as well. So before we dig into the first chunk of Matthew, was there anything else in terms of like setup that you think would be important to discuss? I think just talking about the inter, or, I mean, the intertestimonial, or the the time between the last book of the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are lots of world events happening. Alexander the Great's kingdom rises and falls 
in those 400 years. And what's interesting, and we don't really get to see a lot of it, we have to go find it or look for it, is Daniel, when he's giving the prophecies of, you know, the kingdoms that will come, the panther with four horns is speaking specifically about Alexander the Great. And it's interesting to see how that played out in real life and God used that and and had set that up. Uh, And the point I'm making about Alexander is when we're looking at the Bible, we have these written, you know, you can debate on the exact year that they are written, but certainly within the first century of, um, of Jesus' birth, like not too long after Christ dies, these are written and are there. And you look at a guy like Alexander the Great, the, the earliest writing that we have of Alexander the Great is like 300, 400 years after his death. Nobody disputes Alexander the Great existed and did what he did. But there's this, well, those were written so far after Jesus died. It's like, man, in historical context, these were written pretty early. Right. And if you look at those two side by side, it's very, it's very easy to see, man, these were written really, really quickly. Compared and to- way more transcripts. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Vody Bauckham did a breakdown of when people talk about error within the transcripts or people that weren't erring, but people that were trying to change the transcripts to change the scriptures so that they could control people, you know, these people that could be easily controlled. It's like, do you know what that would have had to have taken? They would have had to have been able to steal every transcript that was written in Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, to take them all, change them somehow as if they just had like whiteout, you know, 2000 years ago, and then put them back without anybody noticing. Yeah, it's just like, guys, come on. All of history bends to God's will. And a a perfect example of that is the uh, nation of Islam and and the, the Muslim religion for a long, long time. There were Muslims that would mock you know, our, our new Testament and these writings saying, see, these are, these are dated way after Muhammad's writing. These are, these are, these are, our writings vastly predate and God will not be mocked. And then we have the dead, the dead sea scrolls definitively put that to bed. These are a thousand years older than your earliest works. What do you mean you were before Christianity? No, 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 no. That's not how this goes. And all of history bends to the will of God. It's, it's very, very cool to look at. Any other setup stuff that oh. you guys came across? Nope. You said exactly what I was going to add. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I just love when someone else at the table is smart and not just me. Gosh, that's just so refreshing. <laughs> so I want to dig right into this first part because verses 1 through 17 is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And what this reminds me of is when we were going through Nehemiah, And you have like Nehemiah 3, where it's just a bunch of names and other places in Nehemiah where it's just a bunch of lists and a bunch of numbers and a bunch of blah, blah, blah. And what people normally do is that's shorthand for skippable. Mm. Like this is skippable. But whenever I got to the genealogy, I was just like, this is incredible. Like like we know this because people in modern day, they don't really understand how meticulously people from that era took their genealogy. The reason why things like 23andMe and Ancestry.com is so important and popular nowadays is because we don't give a crap about our genealogy, so much so that for generations, no one thought to write these things down Mm. to pass them on so that the great-great-great-grandchildren knew something about great-great-great-grandma and grandpa. And we're trying to rekindle that 
But unless you have a person in your family, like I have one person in my family, that's a, that's like her goal in life is to like connect the family tree and to know exactly how far we go back and when we came over here and all that. But it's like that, that person's retired and that's mm. all they do with their time. Yep. But to see 14 different generations defined here, it's just such, such a big deal. So, so for me, right out of the gate, I think that everyone needs to pause and have some reverence for what you're seeing in those first 17 verses. When he starts with this for a reason, obviously, I mean, it's like, you know, he, like you said, it's mainly geared towards the Jews, right? So he knows that this is the proof. I mean, this is the proof that it's worth being listened to, that Jesus's heredity comes from Abraham all the way down, right? So, I mean, there's a reason he starts with it, um, you know, and, and all of Jewish history had prepared the way for Jesus's birth. So, um, I mean, I, th- I think, and a couple of things that stand out just are the, I mean, there's some female names in there. There's, you know, three named specifically, and then there's her five, who five have women. been, right. Yeah. And then Mary again at the end. Um, so yes, technically five, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, that was something that stood out. Um, I'll, I'll let you guys take Yeah. It. And I mean, I was, I, I liked how Abraham puts Jesus in the family and how David puts Jesus on the throne. Mm. Yeah. That's a, that's awesome. a, that's a tweetable moment. right? That'll there. preach. That, that, yeah. That'll definitely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Matthew. Can just, you say that again, actually? Yeah, Cause yeah. it kind of made me tingle. <laughs> Not tinkle. <laughs> no, I didn't pee myself. <laughs> tingle. No, that, was, tingle. that was good. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's just, I mean, just amazing how Jesus is put on in the family by Abraham, but on the throne by David. And, and awesome. Matthew gets right to the point. This is, this is literally to the Jewish people. Hey, this is the announcement of the King of Glory, and here is why, and here is where he comes from, and this is why he has a right to God's throne. And man, that 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 is literally a tweet right there. I love it. Well, well said. Back to your point, Caleb. Um, it wasn't completely uncommon, or completely unheard of, rather, for women to be in genealogies, but it was uncommon. But it's not just that women were named here. It's what type of women were named here because you have Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba. They're all women of questionable character. So Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba were all Gentiles. Mary had the stigma of sex outside of wedlock because just because they said, oh no, I didn't, we didn't have sex. I got pregnant from the Holy Spirit. People didn't just go, oh yeah, makes sense. Like, you know, (laughs) she had kind of the the stigma of that. Uh, Tamar uh, posed as a prostitute to seduce Judah. Rahab was a Gentile and a prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite worshiper of idols. Bathsheba's not even named. She's just yeah, called the, right. uh, you know, the wife, wife of Uriah. Of you know, she committed adultery with David. And I know in modernity, we have this debate about, well, was, you know, did she commit adultery or was she raped? And I know I've even said on the show before, it's like, I don't think she could have said no to David and survived. So to say that it's rape, I'm not offended by that. There's a lot of conservative kind of theological people that are very offended by that language because they think it's the same as kind of the modern progressive like a uh, power struggle argument about women that sleep with their bosses. That's that's really not what I'm talking about, and so I don't technically want to go there. But the reason why that's so important that they talk about all these women uh, and maybe Mary not notwithstanding is think about what came from this line. It is mind blowing to just think about Bathsheba and David. And how the Messiah came from directly that line, whether you think David raped Bathsheba or whether Bathsheba was a willing participant and all of that, Jesus was a descendant of an adulterous relationship that ended in murder. 
Like remember, because Uriah was such an upstanding man that he wouldn't lay with his wife while his men were in battle fighting and potentially dying. And David did all he could to, you know, get her to get him to lie with his wife so that he could hide the pregnancy and all those things. And then eventually he puts him on the front lines, pulls the troops back, leaves him out there by himself to get him killed. It's how a general murders somebody, right? Jesus came from that line. That is so significant. All of history bends to God's will. Had yep. he slept with, with his wife, that would have been his son. That wouldn't have been of the line of David. That would have been of the line of Uriah. And one thing goes out of place. And you're looking at a completely different story, but God, God bends it all to his will. Man, it's so cool to just see that play out. And I know, I know there's been said probably many times, but like who in the right mind would write a book and put these characters in the book, you know, if it wasn't real, you know, that you wouldn't want something that's so uh, racy and, you know, embarrassing in your historical document that's supposed to say that, you know, God is the, you know, Jesus is the Savior. Well, not just racy. At this time in history, women were considered subhuman by the dominant culture of the time, which was the Roman Empire. The head of the households in the Roman Empire had the power of life and death over their entire family. They could kill their spouse and kill their children and not even go to court to defend themselves just because they say, look, they needed to die because of this particular infraction. And so, which again, we see later the significance of women being the first witnesses to Jesus's resurrection. That's very significant. But here, five women are named in the genealogy. And all of them have something that's kind of rough. Sorry, Catholics, but yes, like we don't see Mary as this divine figure. She's woman all the same. She just happened to be the woman who gave birth to the king of glory. And so, but it's just such a significant thing. And to your point, Matt, like, you know, history bends towards, towards God and all that. Like, do, do we kind of, I can't remember off the top of my head, how far removed David is from Jesus time-wise? Do we have an idea of that timeline? Is that in your timeline right there? He says, I mean, it's, it's 14 14 generations generations from from David to Babylon and then 14 generations from Babylon to Christ. So, I mean, I'm sure there's something in here, on yeah, so that, but it's, we're talking about hundreds of years, yeah, but the, the yeah. point being like the people in David's time that knew about David's sin probably thought to themselves, this is irredeemable. Like this, this can't like this can't stand. And I think about in modern day when a tragedy occurs and an atheist pounces on it and says, Oh yeah, you've got a good God. Well, this three-year-old girl was raped and decapitated by a sex offender. Like, what, what are you talking about? But what if a person that goes to her funeral hears the gospel for the first time, or someone 200 years from now is looking up old, however they would look up things 200 years from now, old tweets or old whatever about this story, and it takes them down some sort of redemptive path. Like, to assume that we know there's nothing good that can come of a situation is to assume the judgment seat and the knowledge seat of God. And it's like, bro, you have fun doing that. I'm not going there. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. It's also like you mentioned just how, why would anyone write it this way? You know, I mean, it's unbelievable, right? Is that yet, yet it's so in line with Jesus's ministry. You know what I mean? Is that it's like, it, it's not putting all these people on a different level. I mean, it's that, hey, this is all just part of God's divine story to Jesus's birth. It really has nothing to do with, you know, if this person's in this position or this is a woman or this was a prostitute or whatever. I mean, it's just in line with his ministry completely. Well, yeah. we also have we also have um, the ability to look backwards, and we can look at this and go, "Oh yeah, 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 that's definitely Jesus came from the line of David." Like very specifically, Matthew lays out for the Jewish people, "Hey, you guys wanted a Messiah. Here he is. This is why he is 
God incarnate. He is Emmanuel. He is the Christ. Here's here's how that shakes out. Because this is this is what the Old Testament is preaching to. This is what it's moving towards. Here it is laid out fully, and I've given you the genealogy of why he is the king. And am I, am I right uh, to to think that there were actually more than fourteen generations? Yes. This, yes. this is just a yeah. way to order it. So yeah. some people's names are skipped so over. I, I, yeah. I think I think speaking to that, Matthew was written in, in this is just in some of the research that I did. Matthew was written in a way that was again easily rememberable or re- easily remembered. You could yeah. recite this because you had they had to have a way to keep this. You never knew one it's hard, hard and expensive to write books or write things like things like this down. So he wrote it in a way that was very easy to remember. And so that's part of that is that it's not the full genealogy, but it is a way that's easy to remember. That's, well, how, it, that's how the whole book is written. And some people have said in the commentaries I read that there's a significance to the number 14 um, when it's talking about the 14 generations. And they look at the, the word or the name David. David has three Hebrew consonants in the word, D-W-D. And the numerical values of those are four, six, four, which adds up to 14. And 14 is the symbolic number of David. And so it probably was some sort of mnemonic device. I don't know if that exactly applies, but it it was a device to where this could be easily transferred. Because you're right, there were not, there was no ubiquity of scrolls within personal households and things like that. That was something for the wealthy, uh, for the different synagogues and stuff like that at the time. So it was a way that it would be easier to recognize and understand. It was a set of three as well. Yeah. Three sets of 14, 14, 14, 14. Easy to remember. One, one thing I want to bring to the listener's attention is in verse 16, it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, you know, named Christ from the very beginning of Matthew, uh, you know, Messiah, almost immediately in the gospel, you will have people, um, Muslims, uh, atheists, agnostics that will argue that, hey, not only did Jesus not claim to be God, his disciples didn't claim that he was God. That was, that was something that was invented after the Council of Nicaea or hundreds of years later, and they'll just say these stupid things because they heard it on the Joe Rogan experience. And the reality is, is like the only plausible explanation for Christianity making it out of first century Rome is because Jesus actually died and he actually rose again, and people attested to that with their blood. Like we have no extra biblical or biblical definition of somebody recanting on seeing a risen Jesus Christ during this time period. And that would have been, on, that would have been put out on Twitter everywhere. Right. That would have, like you'd, you'd have, you'd, that would have blown up. Yeah. Josephus, Celsus, uh, other extra biblical writers of that time and historians, they, they would have loved to have said, yeah, you know, the apostles, the ones that were sold out to this lie, they were the, yeah, they went to their deaths and didn't say anything. But hey, I have a dozen attestations from people that said, yeah, you know, we said we saw him risen, but that wasn't actually him. We were just kind of like incentivized to say that. It's just not real. It's just not there. It was attested to from the beginning that this is the genealogy of the Christ, not the genealogy of a guy named Jesus. And so I think that that's, that's really important. Uh, Matt, if you can do me a solid and read Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Sure. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Pause. Pause real quick. So on verse 18, we need to talk about betrothal a little bit, little bit because that's not something that we understand 
in modernity, but betrothal was basically like you were already married. Okay. This is more, this isn't like engagement. Like that's not a corollary to anything modern is engagement. Betrothal is like you have done everything except for consummate the the wedding uh, bed. It's a binding contract. Yeah. Yeah. To get out of a betrothal, you would have to go through a divorce process. Like that's how significant this whole process is. So go ahead with verse 19, please. 19 and what? Uh, Uh, Go 19 through 23. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So that is a reference to Isaiah 7.14. So a lot of things point to the Old Testament throughout Matthew. Uh, the Lord that appeared to Joseph in the dream, that's Gabriel. Um, the thing that's interesting about this, going back to verse 19, whenever Joseph you know, basically said he wanted to divorce her quietly, this is quite a tremendous thing because if you're a woman that is betrothed to a man and you have sex outside of that betrothal, that was punishable by death. Mm-hmm. Now, at this time period, the Romans had basically taken away the Jews' uh, ability to do capital punishment, which is obviously significant as you get to the end of Jesus' ministry. But they took that away from them. But the wages of sin to the Jewish people was stoning to death. Like Mary could have been stoned to death. So Joseph was willing out of we don't know motivation wise if i had to guess just a tremendous love for mary to i can't believe she did this to me but she doesn't deserve to die for this or i don't i'm going to do what i can to keep her from being killed i mean that's a it's an interesting move by joseph from the beginning well and it says he's righteous you know so i mean that's just one one testimony of his character is uh that he was not he didn't overreact you know he took his time he thought it through <clears throat> and though he had a plan, you know, he was not trying to, you know, uh, ex- excise vengeance on her for what he thought. You know, and it had been interesting to be a part of that initial conversation where she finds out she's pregnant yeah, and with a, child. You know. be putting yourself in Joseph's shoes, like that would be, what a position. Man, I've got this wife. We're, we're to be married. I am. A, a Jew trying my best to follow the law rightly. And then she tells me this story. I, the Holy Spirit came upon me and I'm pregnant. What? Like, I can't imagine being in his shoes. And I, he's, a, he's a character in the Bible that, that just, it kind of gets overlooked. And right there, that is his wanting to obey the law and be just and do the right thing like leads to, okay, all right, let's go. When it, it almost go makes you wonder like, you know, Joseph had to be thinking like, why can't you have sent that dream just before I got this news? You know what I mean? Yeah. Then I'd be like, I know you already told me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, almost like it was a test, you know, just to say like, okay, what are you going to do with that information? Right. Are you going to say, yeah, I'll send her away secretly or nope, let's stone her. 
Well, let's let's talk about the significance of that because you, you can just buzz through these five or six verses and that's a lot of stuff that happened over a period of time. Again, Matt, you bring up, imagine the shock on his face when she comes to him because she I doubt she very comfortably came to him and said, hey, I'm pregnant and guess what? It's God's. Like, you know, that's not like something that probably happened, but there was, there was a lot of emotion around this, all of this, but wouldn't it take a supernatural, you know, communication from God via the archangel Gabriel in a dream for you to be like, okay, I'll go along with this because yeah, obviously we see Joseph as a righteous man, but I mean, I literally wrote down seeing and hearing an angel would likely be the only thing that would cause me to change my divorce plans. Yeah, I think that's a good point. But to his like, like quest to seek justice and to be righteous, like he could have just blown up. He could have taken her to that town square. He could have told all the, all the priests, everybody, everybody in the village, like, Hey, this is my wife's an adulterer. She, she's pregnant. It's not mine, but he was patient and he didn't do anything out of anger or irrationally he waited and he he had made a plan but he made a careful plan that he thought was right i wonder how the story would have been different had he been haughty and had he just said stoner everybody this is what happened my wife's my wife is a is an adulterer Uh, he didn't he was patient yeah, I mean, even just thinking like the the living quarters those those days. If I if I recall correctly, a lot of the homes were like almost like community homes, and you had a central courtyard. And I'm just imagining like conversations I've had in my house. And you know, yeah, sometimes we get upset and we can yell and scream and whatnot. Nobody's gonna hear us per se unless we go outside. But like there would have been extra restraint, you know, they almost whispering about this and um, just how righteous he had to have been in that moment to just keep us cool. Um, you know, you can tell he was wrestling with it too. Just, I mean, in, in 19, it says he had, he had planned to send her away secretly, but then again in 20, when he had thought this over, like he's still thinking about it. Right. I mean, it wasn't just, okay, I plan to send her away and then boom, she's gone. You know, go. I mean, he was obviously still thinking about it. Well, and think about the resilience that had to be shown here because again, we read a paragraph and we go from Hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. It's not yours. It's God's. And him dealing with what in the world that looks like, him going through the motions and making the plans to divorce her quietly, making the decision to do that, and then putting the plans together. Then he has to fall asleep. Then a dream comes and Gabriel communicates to him. And then he basically goes to Mary and says, Hey, I'm in. I believe you. This is from God. But there are only two people in this story. They're, they're the only two people that are the main people. But then there's everybody else who's watching a betrothed unmarried woman's belly grow and thinking to themselves like, cause there, it doesn't say that here, but do we assume that Mary and Joseph were telling the community, Hey, by the way, this isn't our baby. Like I'm pregnant with not Joseph's baby, but it's God's like, like, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Did, have, did y'all hear like, because if, cause either way, if, if they did tell everybody, they still have to deal with all the people that are like, that have no scaffolding for that being possible and what they would have to say and treat them like the entire time she's pregnant. And if they didn't share that, they know they're not married. And so they see, and so they just assume that Joseph has fathered a child during the betrothal period, which was sinful and punishable. Like, or, or she has had 
an extramarital affair and it's not his, he's going to marry her anyway. Either one of would have been like a no-no. Yeah. Like, but yeah, they, this story doesn't exist inside of a vacuum. So yeah, you, I, I guess you can only speculate as to what would happen, but like think about that playing out in, in our society. Yeah. People are going to talk. People are going to start to say there's whispers. There's maybe even people saying it to your face. Like you are not a godly man. You're not a Christian. Whatever the, the insult that might be hurled, yeah, I, I imagine there's probably some of that. Well, that's why I think it's important to not read the gospel so quickly, which I'm saying that to myself as I'm saying it to all of you. Because, and that's what, another reason why I like things like The Chosen, because while not every line in the script is coming directly from Scripture, which bothers people to the point where they think that, you know, the show in of itself is her- heresy, the show does a tremendous job of slowing down some of these stories for you to understand that if there were, there were side conversations, they may have sounded a little something like this. And I think that was done the most beautifully in the series so far up to this point in season three, where you had Jairus's daughter and you had the woman with the problem of bleeding. And it's like, that's not a long description of a story in, in the gospels. But they, they strung that out in that storyline over several episodes to kind of get you set up for that moment where this girl, who is the same age as the length of time this woman has been bleeding, and one is saved from death and the other is saved from her, uh, her medical issue, all at the same, basically the same time period. But if you read it too fast, it just, you're going to miss some of that some of that nuance, some of that depth to what you're seeing in the text. Yeah, these things played out in real life for real people. Right. Yeah, and just an observation, you know, in verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. <clears throat> that, that word Emmanuel, I mean, I think it's pretty, it's, again, like you said earlier, this is not a man n- named Jesus. This is God with us, you know, Emmanuel. So, you know, people... Um, that, that claim that Jesus didn't claim to be God and all that. I mean, it's right here. It's like, God is going to be with you. Well, he very, he very, he, I think Matthew uses Isaiah more than, more than most. I don't have like specific statistics on there, but he, he very quickly quotes Isaiah and I, he's going to quote Isaiah again. And Matthew continuously goes back to the old Testament, um, which will forever be hitched to the new Testament, um, because that's how we get there. um, but if you're looking at Jew- Jewish people are waiting for this. They, they have been told this through their own, the book of Moses, the, the book of the law, like all of these things are pointing towards a Messiah, a deliverer, someone who is going to save them, someone who is going to reign forever. So they were expecting this. The fact that it was Jesus didn't really jive with a lot of people. So Matthew's saying, hey, this literally happened. This, this happened. He is the one. And here is why. And so hearkening back to prophecy in the Old Testament is, is how he kind of brings it together and brings it back to, hey, Jesus is the guy that you guys have been waiting for. I'm reminded of when you were talking through that, when John MacArthur went on Ben Shapiro's Sunday conversation, and he basically, I think uh, Shapiro asks him about Jews and how they respond to the New Testament and, you know, Christians and all that. And MacArthur just basically says straight up, the reason why I'm a Christian is because of the Old Testament. Whereas a modern day Christian, you took a not so subtle subtle shot at Andy Stanley there. They want to unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament because the Old Testament has some icky passages that we don't really fully understand. 
how it applies to Jesus of Nazareth. And so they'll just say, oh yeah, we'll just start with Jesus of Nazareth then. But it's like, you're losing the thread here. Like, how did they know what to look for without knowing what was coming from the prophets? Now, there were people at the time that missed it. And as people point out all the time, when Jesus ascended after his resurrection, people still doubted him. After the ascension, it's just like, what else do you need? Like, literally, what else do you need to see? And it goes back to the categories we talked about in Proverbs. You have uh, simple people, you have scoffers, and you have fools. And the simple people literally just, they, for whatever reason, they can't get it. They, they're, they're so easily swayed. But even seeing somebody just kind of, whoop, you know, get sucked up into the heavens, it's just like, oh, yeah, they kind of missed the point. And they're right there getting to experience it, much less reading it. Um, Browning, hit the, uh, the last two verses, please, 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So knew her not means that Joseph did not have sex with Mary until after they gave birth to a son. Um, called him Jesus. You know, that's Joshua in Hebrew. It means Yahweh saves or Savior. Um, why did I say that's a weird savior? Uh, just save, is, savior yeah, is normal. Is salvation. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, so here's the thing. Um, no one here has a Catholic background. I don't think, I don't understand why Catholics think that Mary was a virgin. I also don't understand how Catholics think that Mary didn't have any other children. That's so strange to me when you see so clearly in the gospels that Mary and Joseph had other children, James being the most Wait, prominent. Are you, are you speaking to her, um, perpetual virginity yes not her. okay I, I just want people to not hear what kyle's not saying you're not saying she was not a virgin who received who was who who had a, a child by the holy spirit she was not a perpetual virgin she wasn't a virgin for the rest of her life because she was married and bore other children right okay i just don't want i don't, I don't want that to get yeah. missed there it's just it's a strange thing to me which i guess we don't need to dig too far into because none of us really have uh, the background with that theology but perhaps we can transition into a discussion about something you, you said, Matt, earlier, which is like, is there any more unsung hero from the gospel story than Joseph? Because we don't hear a lot about Joseph. We don't know a lot about Joseph. Like, we're kind of left guessing. We know that Joseph had to have died at some point during Jesus' childhood because there's no mention of him during his earthly ministry from the ages of 30 to 33. But, man, he is the unsung hero of the Christmas story. Just because he was so righteous and so patient and outwardly loving of a situation that literally, guys, you, you have to think about it. Your wife or your, I guess you would say, your, the week you're supposed to get married, right? You've done all the things you need to do legally and you, you haven't gotten married and you haven't consummated the wedding bed yet. And then your, your girl comes to you and says, hey, I'm pregnant with God's baby. Just, again, you don't have any type of Again, a scaffolding for what that looks like. Like, I, I think that Joseph, just because he's not mentioned enough, we don't give him enough attention. Yeah, I was, I, I was thinking like, uh, it's, it's kind of silly, but I, you know, he, he, he raised Jesus first. I, you got to think like, what? This guy had like a perspective on parenting that we don't, we don't have and that he was probably like kind of taken back by later because he's like, hey, Jesus, go take out the trash. Yes, father. And then, Hey, hey, Jesus, can you go help your mom with some? Yes, Father. And then they had James. And then James was like raising heck, you know? And like, what? I thought parenting was supposed to be super easy. God, but God, yeah, but yeah. 
God is a God of details, and I think you can gloss over this. We are adopted into God's family. Stay with me here. Joseph essentially adopted Jesus as his son, as he is not his biological earthly father. So there is a there is a respectability and just a like awe that I look at him and think, man, this isn't even your earthly son, yet he adopted him in and raised him like his own son, just as God adopts us all into his family under the headship of Christ, who was an earthly adoption. That's, that is such a powerful thing to think about. And you're right. We don't talk about Joseph enough. You think about all the potential scenarios that like the people around him must have thought happened and the amount of pressure and ridicule that he probably received from them and just scorn, you know, just thinking like this guy is something else, you know, not in a good way. Right. Mm. I mean, I can't imagine that pressure. And also like, how, how the heck do you, how the heck do you raise Jesus? <laughs> I mean, I'm just curious, <laughs> you know, well, cause, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of mind blowing. Super simple. <laughs> Tell him once. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. yeah. So First it, time obedience. Simple, You're assuming he even had to tell him. Jesus <laughs> yeah. already knew. He just did it. Right? He didn't have to be told to wash the dishes. They were already, he made already the done. dishes. <laughs> I, I think another point that should be made here, just as we're talking about raising Jesus, um, Jesus was the begotten son from, from the beginning of time. And John gets there pretty quickly. John kind of kind of lays that out for us. But he was not begotten when he was born of Mary, he was begotten from the beginning of time. So he sat with God and then decided he would, he would condescend, which is a very negative word in our, in our culture. Condescending is not something that you want to be known as. He condescended to our level and put on our skin so he could be like us and know what it is to be human. And so, like, yes, he was God in flesh, but he also was flesh. And I think that's something you can also miss here, too, is like he was a man who, I mean, did not, did not uh, count his, you know, standing with God. I don't remember how, how Paul puts it, but he didn't take that lightly. He didn't, he didn't, view that as something that could be grasped. He, he willingly condescended to our level so that he could be like us. And that, man, that's another thing to just, man, how cool is that, that God works that way and that God loves us so much that he would say, all right, I'm going to go be a dude. I'm sure that's how he said it too. More than likely. I'm sure, I'm sure he did. <laughs> Clearly it's how he said it. But again, this, this just starts uh, down this journey and Again, as as you guys are studying through Matthew with us, you're going to be reminded of stories that you forgot, and you're going to come across details, because I know when we get into Matthew 2 next week, there's a lot of details that you just flat out miss, because some of it is the fault of cultural Christianity, some of it is the fault that you're not paying attention when you're reading your Bible, or 
more likely. You're just not reading your Bible at all. But that's just a, a good place for us to set up a foundation for Matthew. And we're going to go ahead and leave Matthew 1 there because there's a little bit more in Matthew 2 that we'll want to get to. So guys, when you come back here next week, make sure you've read through the end of Matthew 2 so you can be prepared for next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. The way we're able to pull that off is because we have donors. We get a little bit of money from advertisement, but the majority of how we're able to keep operations going with Undaunted Life is because men are hopping on board on a monthly basis to help us with our operations. 10 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month, 500 bucks a month, whatever people can do, they're doing because they know that this is the content that needs to get to other dads and other men who have sons, all that type of stuff. We're working on all that type of content, but we can't do it without you guys. So go to the link that we have there in the show notes. It's a link to undaunted.life backslash donate. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perfect. Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.